Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. My name is John. I am the lead pastor around here. Appreciate you guys coming on out. Uh, again, I can't see. We got these new lights, and it's like I'm looking at the Yankee Stadium. They couldn't see Brock on the camera. Everybody wants to see Brock. Well, they see Brock now, but I can't see anything. So uh, I assume you're out there. Um, if <laughs> My name is John. I think I said that already. We are in coming towards the end of this series that we're calling The Prison Letters. <clears throat> And what we've been doing over the last couple of weeks is just pouring into the wisdom of Paul, this guy who was a very prominent figure in the New Testament. In fact, he was famous for hating Christians. Um, so if you don't really like Christians, you might like Paul's early story. He didn't like Christians. He wanted to stamp out that movement. He would do whatever he could to try to end Christianity. He would throw folks in jail. He had them stoned. He had them killed, persecuted, whatever the case may be. And then one day, Paul had a run-in with the resurrected Jesus Christ, and his life was changed forever. I mean, on the spot, on that road to a city called Damascus, Paul gave his life to the Lord. He became a Christian, the very thing he set out to end. He would devote the next 30 years of his life traveling the Mediterranean Rim, planting these churches all over the place, and he would actually go on to write over half of the New Testament. But one day... Paul lands in jail, having preached the gospel. And he famously begins writing these letters that we are looking at. And every single week, we are taking a look at a unique piece of wisdom that, fall, that Paul felt burdened to share while his life really hung in the balance. So today is a different kind of a day in the sense that what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be rehearsing some truth, rehearsing some truth, meaning... If you're a longtime Christian, I know many of you are, you've just been Christian, you know, you, for like decades, maybe your whole life, maybe there wasn't a time when you didn't really know Jesus. If that's you, today I might be reminding you of some truths that you've just forgotten. That's what happens sometimes. We, you know, we learn so much, we just, we just forget some things. For those of you who are new Christians, and I know we have a lot of new Christians in this room, I might be telling you some stuff today that you haven't heard yet, and, and you're going to be excited about it. And for those of you who aren't Christians, I hope what you hear today makes you want to become a Christian. Because today, Paul is going to help us answer a question that every single one of us has asked, I bet is asking, and will ask whether you realize it or not. That question is, who am I? Wh what, is what is my identity? What, what makes me, it's a simple question, but depending upon how you actually answer this question, it can totally change the direction and the quality of your life. Identity really has, in my opinion at least, has become one of the most complex, confusing, and at times divisive concepts in modern America. We live in a country of identity categories. I'm this, you're that, they're this, got it, okay? All makes perfect sense. Paul is going to speak into that. And his goal and my goal are one and the same, to help you realize who you really are. So I was thinking about this question this week, who am I, who am I? And immediately I was thinking about social media. My mind went immediately to social media because social media is all about curating your life in such a way as to influence the way that people see kind of who you are, right? You're telling the world, this is who I am, or in more cases than not, this is who I want to be. This is who I want you to think that I actually am. 
And one of the best ways to see how people on social media answer the question, who am I, is not really their pictures. It really is going to look at their Instagram bio, their little profile there. It's this short little space where you get a chance, if you want to, to go tell the world, this is me. This is who I am. So I did a social experiment. I went on Instagram. Um, I love Instagram. I don't really post much, but I love to just sort of lurk and look at everybody's thing. And I spent a long time looking at people's bios. Some of you guys here, okay? Some people, <laughs> some people I know, some people I don't know. I looked at some famous people with the blue checks. I looked at influencers. I just kind of went down my list and opened them up at random. And it's the strangest thing. I mean, across the board, this pattern began to emerge of how people sort of answer the question who I, I mean, a distinct pattern became very, very clear. And so what I did was I distilled down my findings, right? And, and I want to present to you what I found, and I was going to show you their profiles, but I thought I might get sued for slander. So I just adjusted my own bio accordingly to reflect these patterns that I saw out there. So the first thing that I noticed when people out there on social media are answering the question, who am I, is that somehow everybody's an entrepreneur. I don't know how that's possible, okay? You've seen this? So everybody's Thomas Edison. Everyone's Elon Musk. Nobody's working for anybody else, okay? They're all self-made. I'm just starting to think nobody knows what this word even means anymore. I, I'm an entrepreneur. Right, we'll just start. Eh, don't worry about that. Okay, the next thing that I noticed when people are answering this question, who am I, is that somehow everybody thinks they're a model, okay? Uh, where are you modeling? I haven't, JCPenney catalog, I haven't seen somehow 87% of Instagram thinks that just because you put a picture up with a film doesn't make you a model. By the way, in order for me to do this, I had to save my profile, and I was like, dear Lord Jesus, please don't let anybody see this stuff, because, <laughs> right? I mean, I could just see, like, uh, anyway. So the last big trend that I saw um, when it comes to people defining who they are, when I showed Christina this, she goes, you're so right. I see that all the time. And I don't even know how to describe this. But what I'm seeing folks do is, is they're sort of defining who they are by where they've been and where they're going. Okay, have you seen this? Nobody cares. <laughs> now, all jokes aside, social media is a great place to see people publicly. By the way, I picked up so many followers after the last service. You, if you follow, you will be very disappointed. <laughs> very I'll look at your stuff but, and judge you for it but, and send an account. Um, so it's a great way to see people answer the question, who am I? But psychologists will say that most of us, generally speaking, the general population, if you will, when answering the question, who am I, will reach into three distinct categories. Many of us would, would go right to our occupation. Who are you? I'm a pastor, right? I'm a travel agent. Uh, I'm a personal trainer. I'm a teacher, I'm an entrepreneur. Sure you are. Now, for, mo for many of us, this is kind of our default answer. It's almost as Americans, we're kind of programmed to go, who am I? <laughs> My job. And psychologists have a name for this. It's called a work role centrality. It means that your job, your career, your occupation is central to your sense of who you are. Now, additionally, psychologists will say that folks will often define themselves by the role they play in relation to other people, right? Who are you? I'm a mother. I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm a wife, right? We, we kind of define ourselves by who we are in terms of other people. Lastly, psychologists will say that folks often will define themselves by their passions. I'm a traveler. I'm a foodie. I'm a surfer. 
I'm a whatever. Now, I would even expand on this list, particularly because we're Americans here, because many of us now in America would identify ourselves at, by our political affiliations. That's a big thing. Or by our race, or even by our sexuality. But more times than not, when asked the question, who are you, we really do tend to build our identity on these three categories. I would call this our public persona, if you will. But many of us have what I'm going to call a hidden identity, okay? That we have this sort of hidden identity that we espouse and we know ourselves by, but we don't verbalize it to anybody. We keep this to ourselves. I mean, this is how we see ourselves, but we don't let anybody else know that this is how we really do view ourselves. For example, maybe when you think about who you are, you hear that question, somebody asks you, and, 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 and you, you just really see yourself as a failure. Maybe you dropped out of school. Maybe you got kicked out of school. Maybe you can't get a job. Maybe you can't hold down a job. You got in trouble with the, whatever the case may be. There is just this low sense of self, and you've made it your identity. Reminds me of the, a quote from a Lumineer song. He goes, uh, I've read the script, the costume fits, I'll play my part. Right? It's just, this is, this is just who I am. I'm just resigning myself to, to this, this sort of thing in my life. Some of us might define ourselves as a victim. I, I don't know what on in your life, but maybe it, it was abuse at some level as a child or, or, or in a relationship. Maybe you went through a divorce and it was just brutal. It was just brutal. Like whatever that situation was in your life, though, it's almost become who you are. It shapes your reality. It shapes how you see the world. It has become your personality. It has become your identity. Now, this last one that I'm going to throw on the screen in just a second, I'm throwing it up here because we're in a church setting. And, and what I've seen sometimes is that many Christians, and if you're one of them here today, I'm so glad you're here today. There, there are some Christians out there who know and believe that Jesus died for their sins. They understand that. And yet they only continue to see themselves as a sinner. It's like, yeah, everybody sins, I get that, but I really sinned. I, I really, I just, you don't know what went on in my past. When I step back and I look at the ways that we sort of identify ourselves, just throw them all up here, and by, this is like by no means exhaustive, I just, I look at this and I'm just struck wondering, is this really who we are? I mean, honestly, is it really who we are? Or is this just what we do, what we've done, or what's been done to us? Are we not much more than what we do, or what we've done, or what has been done to us? Because just for argument's sake, let's just flesh this out a little bit. Just for, let's say you're somebody who defines yourself by your occupation, right? Who are, I'm a pastor, I'm a, I'm a this, I'm a that. What happens if you lose your job? What happens if the economy crumbles and all of a sudden the job that you do is no longer even an option? Who are you then? Psychologists will say that individuals who define themselves by their jobs and then lose those jobs have a far greater chance at, at, at have a depressive state or being anxious. They, they feel as though they have lost their very identity and as though they have no purpose in this life. 
or if you are someone who would define yourself by the role that you play in relation to other people. What if, God forbid, what if your marriage falls apart? Who are you then? I mean, if all of a sudden the, the foundation upon which we've been building these identities crumbles, is shaken, is altered, or is pulled out from under us like a rug, all of a sudden we find ourselves floundering, trying to reach on to anything and anyone to try to define ourselves by, which is why psychologists will tell us that a stable sense of self cannot exist without an immovable foundation. I love this. Today, Paul is going to make sure that your true identity is based upon an immovable foundation. So if there's one environment that can absolutely destroy your identity, I'm talking just, just crush you and, and make you into nothing more than a number, it's jail. It's 2,000 years ago, from a jail cell, Paul wrote a letter to a group of Christians, and he says something in this letter that will turn our very notion of identity on its head. You've got to see what he wrote. He said, in this new life, meaning as Christians now, one's nationality or race or education or social position is unimportant. Such things mean nothing. That's not what we've been telling ourselves. Paul says, now that you're a Christian, just so you know, where you're from isn't who you are. Now that you said yes to Jesus, your education or lack thereof or all your degrees isn't who you are. Your race or whether you're famous or nameless doesn't matter. Such things mean nothing in the light of eternity. Whether a person has Christ is what matters. And he is equally available to all. Paul is saying, if you are someone who is trying to answer the question, who am I? The question you really got to ask first is, who am I in Christ? Because if psychologists are correct, and we need a stable sense of uh, a self with an, uh, you know, to exist with a, without, uh, sorry, for a stable sense of self to exist with that immovable foundation, then this is the question we must build our identity on. Because if we can begin to understand who we are in Christ, if we can begin to internalize who we are in Christ, it can completely change how we view ourselves. And it can set us free from the vicissitudes, if you will, of this life that we all live. Paul would write what is considered to be the preeminent passage on the Christian identity. In the letter to the Ephesians, he said this, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. This is incredible. The magnet, let me just read it again, just so we, even before he made the world, stop, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Before the world was even a concept, whether you think the world is 6,000 years old, millions, or billions of years ago, God, before that, had already forgiven what you would do because of Jesus Christ. And we're here struggling with self-worth, maybe because of our past. We're here trying to attach self-worth to all these external measurements that can change at any moment. And meanwhile, our creator is looking at us and saying, because of Jesus, you are loved. You are holy. 
and you are without fault. Now that's an identity. You lose that job, I am loved. The world pushes you down, I am holy. Satan tries to whisper in your ear about your past, I am without fault because of Jesus Christ. Paul continues. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. This is huge. And this is one of those verses that we would normally read and kind of breeze right past. It's kind of like, I don't know what that's really talking about. Okay, but this adoption is a massive component of our Christian identity. Let me walk you through what this is all about. In the Jewish culture, of which Paul was a part of, adoption wasn't really a thing. It wasn't really a concept. There was no formal process to adoption. And so when Paul is speaking of adoption, he's referring to Roman adoption. Where they live in the Roman Empire. Paul is a Roman citizen. That was a point of pride for him. And Roman adoption was a big deal. And it was a formal process. See, in the Roman Empire, biological parents could disown their biological children for a variety of reasons. Okay? And so this biological parent-child relationship wasn't necessarily permanent. And it wasn't necessarily loving. However, in the Roman Empire, when it comes to Roman adoption, it's a completely different story. See, Roman adoption signified that the child was freely chosen and desired by the parents. And Paul borrows from this as he's writing that last verse to let you know that God has freely chosen you. And it gives him great pleasure to call you one of his own, which has tremendous ramifications for us as Christians, but particularly if you are somebody who's, whose identity has been shaped by a, a negative home life. Maybe, maybe you're, you're, you're an absent parent, an abusive parent. Maybe you lived in a home where you didn't feel loved or they straight up told you that. Now, because of Jesus, you have a perfect Heavenly Father. Secondly, Roman adoption ensured that a child could not be disowned. When you were adopted then, you were officially legally and permanently part of that new family. So why would Paul latch on to like this concept? Because he wanted you to know that because of Jesus Christ, you couldn't be separated from God. You couldn't be separated from his love. That once you say yes to Jesus, your salvation, your, your adoption into that family, if you will, is forever, permanent. Look at how Paul writes. He says, and I'm convinced. I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Now that's a stable foundation on which to build an identity. God will never walk out on you. God will never abandon you. God will never disown you. You don't need to prove yourself to him to be loved. And you don't need to hide your struggles from him in order to keep his love. He freely adopted you with the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And you are now officially, legally, and permanently a child of God. Lastly, 
according to Roman law. When that new family adopted you, you actually received a brand new identity. You were grafted into a new lineage, a new family tree. You took on their new name, and you took on their new life. Any commitments you would have had in the past, any responsibilities you would have had in the past, all of your debts were erased. And similarly, when you said yes to Jesus, you received a new identity as well. Paul said it like this. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And if you were here in week one of this series, we talked about this at length. Off with the old clothes. Off with the old life. On with the new life. The moment you turn your life over to Christ, God handed you a new passport. He handed you a new ID card. He handed you a new, new life. All of your previous debts were canceled, and you received a new status. Forgiven. Fully and completely. No matter what the enemy might want you to believe. And this is so important for some of you. Like I said, some of you, you you've made your sin and you've made your past your identity. Talked about this up top. That hidden identity. It's, yeah, I understand that, that God forgives, and, 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 but my sin was just, uh, it's just, it's so much worse. I just, I just don't know. If that's you, I want you to take a look at what God says about your sin. Book of Isaiah. This is God speaking. I, yes, I alone, will blot out your sins for my own sake and will never think of them again. Those mistakes in your past that you keep reliving, that you keep ruminating on, maybe you even made them a part of your identity even though you've said yes to Jesus, God blotted them out. Wiped the slate clean. And has never thought about them again. Think about them. That one spring break, that unwise business decision that you made, that big mistake, that chapter in your life that you wish... God, because of Jesus, doesn't even think about it. And if you're still not convinced, in Psalm 103 we read, He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. When Jesus Christ died on that cross, he purchased your freedom. He secured your salvation. And when you said yes to Jesus, God let go of your past. The question now is, do you? See, as humans, we struggle with our identity. And I just think it's led to so much confusion in this world. I think it's led to so much heartache in this world. And I think it's actually led to violence and hate. And so as Christians, if you're a Christian in this room, when you answer the question, who am I? You may have responded with your job. You may have responded with that role that you play. Perhaps you, you, you would point to your passions. Maybe you secretly think about your failures or the hardships that you've endured. But let me tell you who you really are. Let me tell you your true identity in Jesus Christ. You are a child of God. You might not know this, but you are irreplaceable. Scripture says that you are loved beyond compare. And you were worth dying for. 
and you are forgiven. And you have been set free. And you are secure for all eternity. So, what do you do with that? What's the practical? If it's your first time here at DHC, every week, put this word on the screen. We want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and just know exactly what to do with what you heard. So with everything that we've touched on today and trying to answer this question, who am I? From, you know, joking about social media all the way through the categories that psychologists would point to. What I would love for you to do this week is just in your own time, really think about and try to answer, where am I tempted to find my identity? Like when asked the question, who are you, what would you say? How about this? What have you been saying? Like what things or details or characteristics or issues or concepts or what are these things that you've been clinging to to define your very identity? Paul said something that is so beautiful and so encouraging, and I'm not sure I've ever shared this from the stage before, but I thought it was great for today. Here's what Paul says. For we are God's masterpiece. (laughs) He has created us anew in Christ so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. This is how God sees you, a masterpiece. Is this how you see yourself? If you're a Christian in the room, does the way that you've been answering the question, who am I, does it lead you to this? Or does it drive you away from this? When it comes to our identity, maybe, just maybe, it's time we stop listening to culture and start listening to God. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, we live in a world, a country, a culture, a time, a place where we're just struggling to figure out who we are. And so many of us, Lord, have made our past and our struggles and perhaps even our careers and who we are as, as people, God, but Lord, your word says that we are so much more. God, I pray that today you would give every single person in this room a proper and accurate view of themselves in Christ. And for those of us in the room who do not know Jesus yet, I pray that that they would be encouraged to follow after your son, to embrace the identity that waits for them, And Lord, as we try to embrace this, this, as you describe us as a masterpiece, as we embrace that role, Lord, I pray that we can go out into the world different and that we can do the good things that you have set before us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name.